All right, our next guest, the new CD is called Let the Bad Times Roll. It came out on Friday, April 16th via Concord Records, and the music video for the title track already has 1.3 million views on YouTube. I mean, come on. The video's epic. You can pick it up wherever music is sold. Welcome, Dexter Holland from The Offspring. Thank you. Thank you very much. What's going on? So I just want to say, first of all, listening to this record, it is just straight up, straightforward, The Offspring. It is so good. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, this is like the third or fourth collaboration between you and Canadian producer Bob Rock, who, you know, had background with DOA, working with punk. But, you know, he was more doing the the Bon Jovis and the Motley Crues and, you know, Metallica's. What was it about Bob Rock that made The Offspring want to go that route in production-wise? Well, a couple things. I mean, he is... Bob for Rock. Well <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well known for the, the, the metal stuff back in the day, but he really did cut his teeth back in Vancouver in the punk days. And he was there when bands like DOA and the Subhumans were coming up, and he was the guy recording them because uh, he was doing the engineering side as well. So when we met with him, it was like, okay, this guy understands what it's like to try to put together a punk album. So that was great. And then beyond that, like you said, he's Bob Rock. He's a great producer and he knows how to make stuff sound great. And he knows how to get the best out of the bands, the best performances. Right. Do you think that, did did he like elevate your performance? He does, you know, in a very nice way, in a Canadian way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Could you please change this? Yeah. Was he, was he, he was like polite. He was polite. (laughs) <laughs> Let me ask you this just real quick. Speaking of Bob, because when you when you look at what he did with Metallica and St. Anger, he got involved. He played bass. He, he does other stuff. Does he do that with the offspring where he comes in and offers to play a part or or or, or you know, arranges something and say, OK, you should try it this way. And then, you know, how does he how does he work with you? Yeah, no, he doesn't do it like that at all. If, if, it, if he's sensing that we're struggling getting a part right or playing something right. You know, he'll he'll say not this is what I think we should do. He'll say, well, what would the offspring do here? Which is it sounds like such a funny question. It catches you off guard. Right. It really makes you think outside yourself for a minute and, and, uh, and approach it, reapproach it in a different way. Were you guys in the studio together recording this record or because like pandemic? Like, was this done before the pandemic happened or was this a product of it? Most of it was done in the last couple of years, and, and we were almost done right before the pandemic hit. In fact, we were scheduled to put it out right at the beginning, and we decided to take a step back and kind of just look at the songs again. So most of it recorded in person. Some of the final remixing was done via Zoom, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly in person. Nice. So you got, were you guys have- recording in, like, Vancouver together, or did you do it in the States? or? We did it mostly here. This is our band studio in Huntington Beach. Nice. And, uh, so we did, yeah, most of it was done here and, and some of the mixing we did up in Vancouver. Okay. Let me ask you this. In in 2014, I got to see you at Heavy Montreal doing the anniversary tour for Smash. And it was a great, great show, great everything. Uh, what compels you to make new music at this point? Because you, essentially you could go do Smash tour forever and always, or you could play the 15 greatest hits forever and always. And fans would show up because the music has been that good, has been that inspirational, has gotten into people's hearts that much. So why do you say, okay, let's sit down and make 10 new tunes, 12 new tunes? Basically, why bother? I'm glad you asked that question because I think that's something that people really wonder. They think like, well, he's got it made. What's, what is mm-hmm. he want to 
try anymore. But to say the truth, I mean, as much as I love the, sh the shows and I love playing songs that people know and like there, there's a real energy and excitement and, you know, the mutual sharing of these songs. But if we never put any new records, I would feel like I was just punching the clock. It just it wouldn't feel like it's just like, yeah, let's just go out and play the same songs for the rest of our lives. That huh? would be about. But right. it's a clock with a big cash register. So you can't, you can't <laughs> complain too, too much. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this. When you think of of rock stars, you, you don't think of guys having PhDs. Why did you continue to pursue your studies and not just say, "Hey, I'm in Huntington Beach. I got this great studio, playing heavy Montreal. I don't need school." Yeah, I was halfway finished with the the PhD when the band took off. So, right. kind of in my head, I always wanted to finish it, um, mm. but it had been a long time, and I, I kind of felt that that window was probably closing of my. Right to go back to school and so i decided to do it just in between these last two records and um yeah, I, i'm glad i did i felt like it was something like you know it's research it's research that you know hopefully all ads gets lopped onto the pile of scientific knowledge that maybe will help help something down the line which is very cool yeah hear me now, how do you now okay having that type of education does it affect your songwriting in any way Sorry, it froze for that whole question. Oh, sorry. I was saying, you know, with that type of, you know, education, does it affect your songwriting in any way? Oh, uh, I don't know. People <laughs> have asked that before. It's kind of a right brain, left brain thing. But uh, it's almost like after the science part, it's almost like it somehow turns on your creative side. I, I, they kind of, they do work together somehow. They They go off each other. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, even lyrically and stuff, it's like, I mean, I would think your vocabulary is a lot further advanced than the average Joe Schmo who's just writing some poetry and some punk songs. <laughs> I guess so. And thank God for online thesauruses, right? <laughs> oh, right. do you use online thesaurus? That's hilarious. I have before. I have before. Uh, I think, look, I think there's something mathematical about music. I mean, it's a verse and a chorus and the way the notes go and stuff. So I, I can see why people sometimes think there's a correlation between people that like music and people that are into math or science. Right. Right. But you're not sitting there, you know, pulling the Max Martin route where it's like, okay, we need to have X amount of syllables for a verse and we got to have a pre-chorus. <laughs> you know, they're not doing haikus, my friend. No. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. The first album comes out in 1989 and that time is dominated by big ballads. It's dominated by Motley Crue. It's dominated by Metallica and Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and all these great bands. Uh, you guys come out and it's very stripped down and it's, it's, it's sort of the antithesis of that scene at that time. Um, was that something that, that, that concerned you that, Oh my God, we're not going to be able to break in or was it, you know what? I don't want to wear spandex. We're going to go talk to me a little bit about that scene setting up and, and being in that milieu at that time. It was for sure that the second one for, for, for all of us at the time, I just, uh, the, the, the metal thing didn't resonate with us at all back right. then. We were into the Sex Pistols and the Dead Kennedys and stuff. And right. I, I hated all that stuff back then. Um, I think Metallica was always different for us, for sure, because they were they were pretty hard, you know, for back then, for sure. Um, and, and as time goes on, you know, I, I appreciate all that stuff now, for sure. But it, it wasn't what drove us as kids. Right. Mm. And, and now that you, you know, you've had a lot of success and, you talk about the Dead Kennedys. They, these weren't bands that wrote singles and the Offspring writes singles. So have you, you know, talk to me about that and about the importance of having a radio friendly kind of sound. Right. Well, 
I mean, we loved punk rock growing up and we loved it because of the aggression and you feel like you're able to, to get out this frustration. There's an energy to it that was just different from anything that we had heard before. But there weren't really a lot of great songs. And, and I always felt like, well, maybe that's something we can do that's different from some of these other bands is try to actually take the energy of punk rock and, and build songs around it. So that was always important to us. Yeah, but there was a lot of bands that were kind of doing up-tempo, punky-ish kind of tunes. You listen to bands like Faster Pussycat and even like L.A. Guns and even Rat to a certain extent. It's like, you know, some of those hair bands had a bit of that edge to them. I mean, were you listening to any of those bands at the time? Sure. Um, yeah, sure. Faster Pussycat. And Motley Crue had a couple faster songs or whatever. Yeah, you I listen mean, to Livewire. That's total punk rock. I mean. Livewire, right? There was something. There was some story. I, I, I think it's Lars who said that. And you know this intuitively, but. Uh, a, a punk fast song is different than a metal fast song. And it's, I think like the punk hits on the snare and the metal hits on the kick. I don't know. It's the one in the, there's something different about it. I can't quite yeah. put my finger on it. But. Well, if you listen to like, you know, We Are 138 from the Misfits, it's, you know, it's got that build to it and then it just kicks right in. So, yeah, you know. right. That's, With- that's the way to do it. Um, talk to me about the challenges of putting out an album in this current context, because normally you put out an album, you book a world tour and off you go and you make a whole bunch of videos. Uh, is that something that you can still do right now? Or do you sort of have to just go play Texas and Florida and then say, Hey, everybody else go buy our album. Good luck. <laughs> that's right. Texas, Florida. That's it. Uh, <laughs> and Wisconsin now. It's a, it's a strange time. I mean, it's obviously a very digital time to begin with, right. And you throw a pandemic on top of it and, and even more so, um, you know, we debated whether to put the record out at all right now because we can't go out the way we want to to support the album and to be able to play these songs for fans that would like to see it that way. But we've been sitting on this for a year and we thought we, we don't want to wait another year. We're going to we're going to put it out and we might have to be a little more creative by, you know, let, let's put out some more digital content for the time being until we can get out there. Mm. Yeah. Um, talk to me also about uh, vocally, because when you look back, at least to me, and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but the first albums, there seemed to be sort of more piss and vinegar in your voice. And, and you've seemed to have, to me, smoothed it out and, and and gotten more into a melodic range. Was that a conscious decision or is that just age sort of changing how you sing? Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I think you're more melodic now. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, maybe. I, I haven't thought of it in terms of melodicness. Uh I've had a lot of people say that they feel like the vocal sounds the same, actually, and, and hasn't changed. So uh, I, I I don't know, whatever whatever your interpretation is, I guess. I guess. Well, listen, I, I liked all those melodic bands back then, and, and now I like the Offsprings, and, I, and I, my ears seem to enjoy the, <laughs> the vocals. So <laughs> well, who knows? Well, th- thank you. Yeah. He's trying to compliment I, you, Dexter. <laughs> I am. I, it, it's a roundabout compliment, but yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. No. Um, I, well, Melody's always been important for sure in our band. And you were talking about some of the other bands early on. And, and that's true that Bad Religion was being kind of melodic with their mm-hmm. descendants to a certain degree. And those bands came before us, but we were kind of trying to go that that route. And the vocal was a big part of it. And uh, uh, backups are a big part of it. I mean, we, we definitely weren't, af- weren't afraid of the vocal, a loud vocal. Right. And I mean, you listen to this new record. It's like I was listening to to the record in its entirety over the weekend and the song, you know, we don't have sex anymore. I love the fact that that was like, you know, that's the latest single now because like this is such a single song, you know, how how does how does a song like that come about? Like, does it start with a guitar riff or, you know, even you, you got like the horn section going and stuff like how does a song like that begin for you? 
Yeah, that was the line. The line is definitely the beginning of the song. Uh, we, you know, we were joking around. And this isn't even like this is like back in, I don't know, my my 20s or whatever. And just thinking, haha, that's funny, because I think at any age you can feel like, oh, no, the romance is gone. You know, I've been going out with my girlfriend for two weeks and we we didn't do it on Thursday. It's over. <laughs> so it's just getting boring. Yeah, it felt like not a Viagra song. I felt like a universal kind of feeling that I think people at any age can relate to. But I just didn't know what musical context to put it in for a while. And uh, that's why we kind of just sat on it for a long time. And finally, the the swing thing sounded like it would be a funny way to do it. Because I think that the the verse by itself, the lyric could be could sound depressing, right? But yeah, fun music behind it. It allows you to kind of maybe relate to it, but still laugh. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an upbeat euphoric rock pop song, and I mean you look at that title, like you said, it could have been a ballad. It could. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great album. Um, the album, of course, comes nine years after the last one. Uh, talk to me about two things, real quick. Uh, the feeling of finally getting it out and saying, "Okay, we finally have new music." How does that feel? And also, what are the plans moving forward? Do you, do you see yourself where you say, "You know what? We got to get back to two years, three years, and not this nine year stuff." Um, talk to me about the elation of getting it out finally and also moving forward. What's sort of the, the plan? Yeah, it, it's exciting putting it out for sure. And it, it, it has been a while. And we realize that, you know, the longer it goes, the more expectation there might be on it. Right. But um, no, like Chinese we, democracy, 14 years. You yeah. Beat him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's natural to feel that way. But I think you, you it doesn't serve you to put yourself in that mindset. You got to do what feels right to you. And that's maybe a little bit of the challenge. So, well, you know, maybe there's a little bit of anxiousness putting it out, wondering what the response is going to be. It's mostly just excitement. You know, we didn't mean for it to take nine years, but it's just kind of where the songs ended up. Sometimes, you know, it's it's done when it's done. And this record, it felt like it was the right time for these songs on this record with this title. Let the bad times roll. This feels right. And that's why we're uh, putting it out now you know, in the future. Yeah. I mean, geez, nine years from now, so we might be dead. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never know. Well, you never know. That's right. yeah, but, but but when you think about it, real quick, a lot of the bands we've already mentioned in nine years probably won't be touring. Or you know, Metallica, Alice Cooper, uh, Scorpions—they're probably down to the five-year plan. So I know <laughs> we've even talked about how I wonder if some bands won't make it out of this. You know, they're they're gone for a couple of years, and they're like, you know what? I don't really need to tour anymore. Maybe maybe it's actually good. We're going to be done. So I hope that doesn't happen. It's going to uh, happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think uh, we ended up recording some extra material for this record that we didn't use. We've got sort of a head start on the next one. So good. Sooner. That's good. OK, so you are planning ahead then. Huh. Or, or Japanese bonus track. One of the two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you always got to have the Japanese bonus track. Well, this album is 12 songs, comes out on April 16th, available wherever music is sold. You're doing the CDs, you're doing the vinyl, you're doing all that stuff. Um, you know, there's one song that really stood out to me on this album before we go because we're running out of time. Uh, the Opioid Diaries. Talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about that song because, you know, lyrically and everything, it's, it, it's really deep. Oh, well, thank you. It's, uh, it's about, you know, the opioid crisis in, in the U.S., um, which frankly is, is worse than in other countries. We've learned to find out uh, by just kind of going through this process of talking to people. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, writing a song about addiction is nothing new, but I thought there was something unique about this. And what I mean is that I feel like there, uh, we've almost created what I would call accidental addicts and by the pres- prescription of opioids. You know, these people, they're not the typical people that are 
searching out things recreationally or trying to cope in different ways that become addicted. They're kind of normal people like a high school athlete or a, a blue collar guy that's got lower back pain and he gets prescribed something for pain thinking that it's not addictive when it clearly is. And they become addicted to these opiates. And then, you know, eventually sometimes they can't get them anywhere. And then they're all of a sudden they're on heroin. So you have these heroin addicts that would have never been on this in a million years if it hadn't been prescribed to them uh, unknowingly. So it's it's absolutely the fault of the pharmaceutical industry. And and we felt like it should it needed to be discussed and called out. Yeah. And right? I, I've never really thought of the offspring as a political band. Like I always thought you guys are more of like a like a social commentary group in a way. And a song like that, it, it's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah, I think so, too. I, I don't consider us a political band because I, I think, look, we we try to observe what's going on, but I never want to tell someone how they should think. Right. We'll just kind of lay out the things and let them come to their own conclusions. Yeah. And to think about, you know, I mean, like you said, it could be just the average Joe Schmo that kind of gets addicted. Somebody goes for surgery on their back or something and then there's they're popping Dilaudid's laying in bed. All of a sudden you're not doing it anymore. It's like, oh, I need it. Yeah, you need it. It's awful. Yeah. Well, what we need is music. That's all we need. That's my yep. drug. There you go. That's a great song title. <laughs> All right, Dexter, this is great. Well, let the bad times roll out April 16th. Available wherever music is sold. You hit them up on socials. They're one of the best bands that do the social media game these days, too. So, uh, And it bookends. You had the cars, let the good times roll. And now you have the offspring, let the bad times roll. And all the music in between. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said it all. Anything else you want to you get out there? Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for this great talking to you guys and really looking forward to having people hear the whole record. Cool. Hey, hey, real quick, what's going on with the hot sauce? Are we going to get a new line at some point or? We came out with a, a fourth flavor, a yellow last year. Uh, uh, you can get it all on Amazon. That's the best way to get it probably right now, depending on what city you live in. Nice. Okay. So you do it on Amazon. as opposed to... Now, do you make more money through Amazon or through your own website? Uh, uh, well, I mean, we, we sell in uh, grocery stores. We're in like a few thousand oh, so it's a mass produce yeah because up in here can't i can't go to iga and get it like i'd have to go to you know like Pu like publix or some right. ralph's you gotta go to a ralph's that's the best uh, grocery store like anyway my, yeah do you like my publix <laughs> reference publix publix get it <laughs> i get it i get it yeah <laughs> i tell you what since the pandemic amazon has tripled everyone's ordering online it's it's just crazy i'm selling a ton of hot sauce online nice perfect well, cool. good all right thank well, you sir Dexter, always a thanks pleasure a lot. best of luck with the record and uh we'll see you next time you're up here in montreal thank you very much great talking with you cheers see you later nice perfect that awesome. was great thank, thank you. you cool thanks thank you, Gabby. everybody thank you. thanks Dex. hey dexter really quickly way, before you before you run could, you do, could you do a quick um was fantastic mitch hold on a second dexter could you do a quick id for us before you go Sure. Okay, cool. Just uh, just say, hey, it's uh, Dexter from The Offspring, and uh, you're checking out The Jeremy White Show. Hey, this is Dexter from The Offspring, and you're checking out The Jeremy White Show. Boom. Thank you. Perfect. Was that, uh, was that the one with Metallica? On yeah, it was uh, It was you and Metallica and uh, Twisted Sister. That's right. What, a, what an event that was. Yeah. It was Great crowd too. I remember that day, dude. I gotta yeah, tell was... you, that, yeah, that was the 20th anniversary of Smash and Bad Habits live that day was one of the greatest performances and greatest crowds I had ever seen ever. Yeah, it was 45,000 people. The weather was perfect. Every band was was was. Good. I think there was a Dropkick Murphys. Just everything. The whole thing was perfect. Every yeah, band. right. Really good. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was really nice talking with you guys. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Bye bye now. See you later.